0: podcast listeners. Thank you so much for your support this season. We've had so many important and incredible conversations. This will be our final episode of season two. We'll be taking a little break for a few weeks to focus on recharging and finding many more guests for our incredible episodes. We'll be back on March 15th. For the first episode of season three and it's quite the interview. I spoke with a midwife who focuses not only on bringing in new life but also on caring for those approaching death and all of the work and the preparation and the celebration that it takes to have a home funeral. Uh, She spoke specifically about what it's like um to support families after uh, a perinatal loss so stay tuned for that amazing episode thanks again for your support and for remembering to take good care of yourself as you do for your clients we really need you and also thank you for supporting our podcast please like and share it wherever you watch and if you can leave us a review it helps us in our reach so that we can talk to and support more midwives Thanks, everyone. See you
1: in
0: season three. Hi, my name is Augustine Colebrook, and I'm the principal at Midwifery Wisdom Collective. I speak on this podcast about big picture political issues and the future of our profession.
1: Hey, y'all. I am Jamara and I'm a midwife. I'm also a birth justice activist. And this season I am looking forward to sharing stories of Black midwives and the communities they serve. Hello beloved birth community. I'm Angela Love, nurse midwife since 2004, preceptor and mother. I have a home birth practice called Midwife Love and a national telehealth practice called Midwife Rx. My mission is to keep birth choices available and to educate the next generation of midwives for our daughters and grandchildren, matriarchy now. I'm Layla Wyatt. I get to share with you the voices of student midwives from across the country and beyond. This season, we focus on those students who just graduated, are about to sit for the NARM, or did yesterday, and we get tips and tricks for you for what happens at the end of the student midwife journey.
0: Midwifery Wisdom Podcast. Um, I'm Augustine, and today I am joined by Ginger Breedlove. And I think it's, is a it Dr. Ginger Breedlove? Should we call you that?
1: No, 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 no. It's a PhD. Um, okay. And I rarely, you know, when I use it, Augustine is when I'm in a conversation and I really want to make a point. Otherwise, I really never have that title uh, as a part of my conversation. Awesome. Yes. That's a great time to pull it out.
0: Let's start with, um, with an introduction. Do you, do you wanna tell us your intro? You've done so many things in your life, past president of ACNM, you've written a book, you've run a big national organization. Tell us more, what do you do? What do you love to do? What's
1: your passion project right now? Um, you know, I, I think one of the things you're gonna hear me say a lot in our conversation today is we, because I don't work alone nor have I in the many things that have happened over my career um and and that history is foundational to to I think um, what's happened today in the in the decisions that I've made about gathering other experts around me. I started out as a as a labor and delivery nurse and very quickly was frustrated in, in how families were treated. And there was a, a physician who I admired immensely way ahead of her time part of the 60s movement uh who was who was managing labor in a hospital very differently than her colleagues. And she, another nurse and I uh, left together to start a birth center in Topeka, Kansas. And, you know, my roots in labor and delivery were back in the era when I was a scrub tech and, you know, handed the physician the instruments and um, cleaned the walls and the floor. And, you know, it was, it was a time when women were still strapped in with leather restraints. Um, Fathers were not allowed in the, in the delivery room. And I saw a lot of violence. I mean, that really impacted me because I grew up on a, I would say a semi farm, helped deliver sheep and cattle and uh, was, was being juxtaposed with how we were treating humans. And it, it really bothered me. And, had spent a lot of my young career uh, in debate, formal debate in high school and college. And I really loved and thrived on arguing uh, with evidence. And I knew that you can argue both ways, but I I always wanted to defend the way that I thought was was the way. So we started a birth center in Kansas. It was the first state licensed birth center in the nation. Now there were other birth centers, but they didn't have state regulations. And I did that for 14 years and and early on went to midwifery school, Um, came back and continued that job where we offered home and uh, birth center birth. So that's the foundation of where I come from. And um, life happens, right? Your journey is unpredictable. And I ended up uh, divorcing and remarrying and moved from Topeka to Kansas City Uh, where both my husband and I grew up and was like, okay, what's next? And helped start the first hospital-based midwifery service in greater Kansas City. Uh, One had not existed in the metro area before and was recruited by maternal fetal medicine doc, who's now one of our consultants, whose daughter is a midwife, uh, who had done his MPH while, while in med school um, on the home birth midwives in the boot hill of Missouri. And I'm, I'm going to first say Dr. Gase, and then I'm going to call him John. Um, he understood the culture in the state of, of Missouri. And he then went, you know, to work with midwives in California, both as, as his time in the Navy evolved. And, and then when he finished, um, and was the chief maternal fetal medicine doc of the practice where we started midwifery in Kansas City. And he knew the value of midwifery uh, in the hospital setting. And and that's where midwifery grew in the hospital setting. Um, I, I sort of ran that practice as the chief midwife for about 10 years and then the University of Kansas uh, with some other influencers, wanted to start a midwifery education program, and they did not have one. So I went about three miles across the state line to do that, um, and had a wonderful opportunity in academia, which I never thought I would have an affinity for. Uh, and that's where I finished my PhD, although at another university than where I was working, my focus of that doctoral study was on um, the really emerging um, community health worker to doula model in Chicago and studied a population there for about three years um, that was looking at how doulas from the community trained uh, in a model that um, Dr. Paulo Freire, a Brazilian educator, uh, believes that transform, transformational learning can happen through to become doulas for um, young women in particular um, who had very little social support and their social determinants of health were probably some of the worst you could ever measure. So I was looking at how the doulas experience supporting teens influence their journey after and found that many of the doulas that were trained went on to become midwives, went on to become healthcare providers in other ways. But their exposure to that and their empowerment to become a a partner of support to someone really was profound. that sort of got me into dabbling about writing a book. Rachel Abramson is the lead author, but um, I'm the second author in this book on community-based doulas used by uh, Health Connect One and it's widely used around the country. So my focus on midwifery and doulas sort of merged at that point of my career. so cool. Yeah. I can see that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I will, there's a lot of people that wonder how they can be separated, right? Because they're so integral to support. I I don't think it's about, I don't think it's about separatism. I
1: I think it's about how we can be together. I mean, my entire career has been uh, Mm -hmm. experiencing things and finding ways to build bridges and, um, I, I, to be honest with you, I sort of got tired of, of being an educator, and life went on through another series of a couple jobs, but where I'm at today came from realizing that there are many needs across the country, both by midwives, providers, and institutions that want to engage in the discussion of midwifery but don't know how to do it, and they're looking for help. And uh, I decided in in sort of, if you call it the sunset of your career, I wasn't ready to like be done and are there ways that I could help. So I created this company five years ago with the goal of creating a very diverse um, expert base and sort of stepping away from it when I turned 70. So I'm still on that trajectory. It's exciting. um, And I'm glad we can help in some way. It's about the greater good, you know? How can we help others help themselves? It's
0: amazing, really. Your career is so illustrious. It's it's exciting to hear about all these different pathways. I'm I have um a few follow up questions. I guess my first question would be like, um, you've worked in the community setting. You've worked in hospital setting. You've worked in academia. You've worked in policy. You worked. You've been an entrepreneur. What? What was the hardest and what is your favorite?
1: Ah, What was the hardest? Academia, Uh, even even more so than working in a large health system. Um, I I worked in a very large, we call them R01 institutes, very large schools of nursing, where there, there are large pools of research money with a PhD you're expected to compete and become tenured. And I don't like games. In fact, I sort of fight them. And um, I really, I think uh, tenure is designed for lazy people, not for people who work hard. <laughs> that's basically my opinion. And it's a constant challenge to prove yourself. And uh, if people don't see my the value in my work, then that's their problem, not mine. That's kind of my attitude. So I fought that model a lot. Um, my favorite is what I'm doing right now, to not have a boss, uh, to be in a team where we each bring creative vision, uh, have good discourse, find uh, resolution towards something that we're willing to reevaluate and, and maybe change the course a bit. Uh, it's so It's so much fun and Um, it's also hard. I never thought we would grow as fast as we are right now. And so trying to keep the business model at a trajectory that- You
0: pick the right name.
1: You know, provides a healthy balance of what we want to do because many of my colleagues also have other jobs. Uh, I don't. Yeah.
0: It's hard when you've got a team that it's not quite as available as you. It's sometimes hard to get all the passion and get it out there and all move at the same speed. Well, so um, you spend a lot of time now advising midwives on how to be entrepreneurs. And I think one of the things that you've done is actually create um, financing models. And are are you helping people get funding to start birth centers? Tell us more about what you're doing right now.
1: That, that's an interesting question. Our, You know, I talk about our scope of work in buckets, right? We help individual practitioners. Some are not midwives. Uh, we, help uh-huh. institu- we help institutions who wanna start midwifery services. We help people interested in birth centers or alongside units, and we work with universities starting education programs. So those, those are sort of our buckets. When we talk about individual midwives, Uh, wanting to start practice, um, couple things that we've done. We created a performa for midwifery startups. Uh, We spent a lot of time and energy working with accountants on this tool so that in addition to a business plan, which we see as the narrative portion of starting your business, there's a metric Excel sheets that capture five years of um, expenses, cost, revenue, depreciation, amortization, things like that, that help them speak to people who can give them money, whether that's an angel investor, uh, you know, a line of credit, a big loan. Uh, you need those yeah, numbers I love to that. convince people. We do not help people. Venture capitalists are yeah. more and more getting into birth centers, you know? that's just- Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure how I yeah. feel about that, but that's yeah. another topic. <laughs> I know. I know, I feel same thing. I love this
0: idea of teaching qualified midwives and other providers how to be entrepreneurs. It's a lot of what I do. I don't know if you follow Leslie Cornwell, she's doing a lot of that too, because it seems like lots and lots of incredibly dedicated, passionate people go to Midwifery School, but there's not very much business in Midwifery School and they don't have the skills to really run their own businesses. What part of, of helping midwives become entrepreneurs um, are you finding you have to do the most of? What's, what's surprising to you?
1: Um, sort of matching their passion for clinical practice that, to the passion of, of how to learn either to run their business or find the people to help them run their business. It's sort of like an afterthought. And when you're so busy in the clinical realm, uh, it, it's, it can be hard to set aside the time to understand the complexity of business. Um, like people get their uh, business degrees yeah. over many years. And so do midwives get their education over many years. Yeah. But uh, there seems to be a lack of understanding the investment it takes to learn or find people who you will pay uh, to help you run your business. And that has nothing to do with starting it it's, it's like a a continuum of knowledge. and Yeah, totally. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. It is such a learning curve for some. Um, one of the things that Leslie and I have been brainstorming recently is, um, and, and we invite you to participate too. We feel like we need to start, um, like the ancillary service provider options for the midwives, like they need lawyers and they need accountants and they need cleaning crews. And they like, there's all these ancillary service providers bookkeepers and assistants, office administrators in order to run it successfully. And the work of like vetting all those people and then teaching them essentially how to run a front office of midwifery is really exhausting.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, um, the best resource and what we tell people is to start by learning the foundation of business, right? So we encourage a lot of the clients we work with to get either a SCORE mentor or an SBA mentor. Those are retired business people who provide free services that help you begin to learn the language of business and can also help you network with quality attorneys, you know, maybe free services at a law school, Yeah, accountants familiar with healthcare. These, yeah. The business world really is as connected as the healthcare world. And um, we've had yeah, a lot of success exactly. with people going to their own community leaders to help find those types of services. We certainly do uh, guide people to typically um, vendors that that we think uh, can provide answers to questions, like we recommend uh, three or four different malpractice carriers, but we don't do that for them. Um, I think at some point, it's like, it's like uh, anyone who needs to graduate, cutting the cord. Um, it's, it's a period of support over time and then people just have to learn how to do it if it's gonna be sustainable. It's so true. It's so true. Well, so there's a lot of politics
0: in CPM world. Um, I imagine there's also politics in the CNM world. Uh, what's What's the most frustrating for you when you when you're dealing with the institutions or the organizations or the education mm. or the legislation or any of the parts that that create the CNM world? What's the most frustrating for you in that
1: in that arena? Um, I'll, I'll talk about AMC bid, uh, B midwives. So those certified by the American Certification uh, Mer- American Midwifery Certification Board. Those are CNMs and CMs. Yeah, CD CMs boards. and CNMs. Right. Sure. They are. Sure. They yeah. are uh-huh. I, I've I've been uh-huh. programmed to, to not leave them out because they're now licensed in ten states. Um, it's 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 a combination. I know. Of, so exciting. It is <laughs> exciting. Um, it's a lack of awareness uh, by midwives and the barriers that they're trying to break down. So it's, it's two sides of a coin again, getting back to the busy midwife. I did it full scope practice 25 years. It's exhausting. Uh, little time left over for the people you love some R and R and Oh, by the way, I have professional issues that need my attention. That's the last piece of what somebody has time to do. But if you look at, Um, Many, many many issues, Augustine, Medicaid equity, uh, compensation challenges, contract challenges, uh, hospital privilege challenges, it's endless. Um, And you can't tackle them all at once. So there's power in number trying to get a state where I think change happens faster than the federal level a state to organize and rally themselves around an issue uh, is the strategy we try to use. Brilliant, brilliant.
0: I have kind of a a difficult question for you. Um, I I hope you're willing to answer, but um, kind of a philosophy thing. What do you think is at the root of the the essential animosity between
1: CNMs and CPMs nationwide? Um, I'll, I'll first say, I think that's a pretty general assumption. Uh, I I can't tell you how many very close friends of mine are CPMs and have been for a very long time. And likewise,
0: and yet Um, I still hear in so many communities about, um, really, really negative relationships. And I just wonder, like, What's behind that do you think
1: I, th- I think part of it is uh, and and if you've followed me over very many years you know you know my feeling about regulation um, I think yeah the defining the professional term midwife that is engaged in the exchange of commerce so there are services for money is part of the root of the problem and in any, Business in America, anyway, in most countries where there's commercial activity, an exchange of money between two people, there are typically legal uh, expectations of that service. And when we have a title so misunderstood between states in terms of regulations, mm-hmm. between people, between payers, it is a quagmire that we have not figured out a way to get through. Uh, And until midwives in general, all of us are willing in this country to define a midwife with multiple pathways that has some form of consistent definition and regulation in all 50 states, we're not gonna get out of this mess. That's so, that's so true. I think it's just my yeah. opinion. I mean, people disagree with me and that's okay, but it no, is- I think, I think you're,
0: you're, I mean, I think it has to be either or like if we could play devil's advocate for a minute, if there was no licensing and regulation, there probably wouldn't be animosity. Or if everything was regulated, there probably would be wouldn't be animosity well, because the me, definitions
1: are clear. Yeah, but to me, Augustine, and this is a difficult conversation, it isn't about professional war, it's about public safety and people definitely, understanding definitely. when you when I want to hire you as a midwife to take care of me, that everybody in the United States understands. Uh, just like there are a variety of physicians, am I going to take care of my heart disease from family medicine or a cardiologist? I just need to know. Right. Then I can right. make my personal decision. We don't have that right. around the profession. Not at all. Term. Yeah,
0: not at all. Mm-mm. So it's this ambiguity, lack of definition, lack of clarity for the public and the provider and the payer and the licensing, all the organizations. All of that makes it so contentious,
1: yeah. Because people are kind of fighting for their position. That's exactly right. Exactly
0: right. I agree. I agree. Well, so can we can we stay here for a minute and keep going a little bit further? (laughs) So while there's this kind of animosity, let's say, even though you and I feel very Passionately about all the types of midwives, and some of my best friends are CNMs. But let's let's say that now, while we know that there's this animosity nationwide among CNMs, CPMs, CMs, and I would say even in certain states, naturopathic physician, doctor, midwives, right? Because they're kind of they kind of have a 21 states have that dual degree. There's another type of birth provider out there that is is even more. Uh, contentious I think and that's this birth keeper phenomenon is this reaching you at all are you aware
1: of this I am aware of it I don't know the degree of um of influx into communities I I would honestly say I'm very aware of the term also free birth coming from uh, Australia New Zealand Europe but I'm not sure how much that's integrated into perinatal services yet well they're they're definitely not integrated and i think they don't want to be well i don't mean Um, integrated i guess maybe what i want to say is um what's what's the volume of um their presence i think it's a i
0: think it's a i think it's a lot more than a lot of people know Um, they're active schools teaching birth keepers around the U S and workshops and very active on social media, uh,
1: locations. Yeah. I'm not and, familiar, Augustine. I, uh, okay. I, again, my stance okay. would not change. I, you know, I, yeah. I, 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 no, I don't think it should stand to, to like public yeah. safety mm-hmm. and, you know, that's, yeah. that's the floor. Um, and if there, but is, it's kind of an interesting place, right? Because who determines public safety? Well, do you want your pharmacist to not be registered and regulated?
0: No, but do you want your herbalist to be? I
1: mean, you know, I mean, it's like, it's
0: an interesting place. It's, it's, I think it's, it's going to be interesting to see how things come out. I mean, I don't know. Did you just follow, did you see that the recent court outcome in Nebraska no, um, are you, are you um, I, I I there know was, there's there
1: one was. going on. I know uh, the attorney mm-hmm. um, who was representing the the, the defense. Yeah, uh, and yep. I heard I mean, that it came out amazing. successful, mm-hmm. but I don't know much about it. Yeah,
0: well, it's fascinating. The 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 the. Um, the final verdict in that case, um, the, the judge cited two case laws that I think will be quite quite fantastic and have long-term implications, arguing essentially that midwifery is not the practice of medicine. And number two is that women deserve the right to choose where and with whom they have their babies. And that's pretty exceptional because I, I don't think that's been in any kind of large-scale yeah, yeah. case You know what? I I completely
1: agree with that. Here's here's my Mm -hmm. point it's about about a professional title. If people want Mm -hmm. to become birth keepers, then so be it. If you want to call Mm -hmm. yourself a midwife, these are the regulations and the educational pathways that you go through to attain that legal title. So honestly, I, I believe in free choice in anything. I just put a meme up today about how we try to put people in boxes that fit blah, blah, right. blah, but yeah, but don't call yourself a midwife. If you're a birthkeeper. be a birthkeeper and define it. That's fine with me, but it's, it's, it's muddying so the water when people say, oh, I'm a birthkeeper, but I'm really a midwife. It's it's, they're not the same.
0: Yeah. And, and unfortunately the public doesn't know the definition. There you go. And that's so the problem. they think they're hiring a, a midwife and then the midwife doesn't have resuscitation skills or doesn't have any yeah. pit to stop a hemorrhage or doesn't know how to resolve a dystocia. And right. then that's public safety back to that public safety issue. Right.
1: So if the um, family knows the qualifications of the person caring for them and have yeah. a very clear whether you want to call it shared decision-making or a contract they sign, but they're very clear on the education, the skills, the tools they have to assist in case of an emergency. If someone knows all of that and that's what they choose, so be it. I really don't think there's anything wrong with that and it happens globally. Um, But in our country, in such a highly litigious model, of yeah, yeah, archaic yeah. obstetric practices. I understand oh, why yeah. people are seeking that out. I completely understand it.
0: Yeah, me too. I mean, I do too. I mean, in, in truth in advertising, I was an unassisted birthing mother myself 27, uh-huh. 28 years ago, uh-huh. 25 years ago, because, because of the same thing. Um And I don't necessarily recommend that people choose what they don't want instead of choosing what they do want, but I I certainly understand the motivation and I definitely understand the the midwives, doulas, birth keepers who are escaping uh, any affiliation with the system in order to avoid what is happening, which is really inhumane in a lot of situations. So like, I understand it. But like where where do we find the balance? I think I think we're many years out from
1: that. Oh, um, uh, we're many years out. It's already been 45 for me. Yeah. I mean, we're many years out. I know, right? I know, right? Are you so
0: exhausted yet? Like how are you continuing to do it? Like tell yeah, me Yeah, I do, I
1: do. I do get frustrated. But my my mantra is, you know, whatever work we do, it has to be for the greater good. And that's not just for the profession, Love it's that. for the people that we serve.
0: That's beautiful, that's beautiful. Well, apropos the, the obstetric reality, um, I, I feel like, and I don't have necessarily studies per se, I mean, there are serious, amazing studies coming out of Australia on this topic, but I don't know that they're coming out in the US, but I feel like all the empirical reports is that obstetrical violence is really on the rise.
1: Um, I don't know that it's on the a really rise of the same. podcast. I, I don't know that it's on the, maybe rise. it's just awareness. I think we're uncovering it. I mean, I, we started this conversation uh-huh. with me saying uh-huh. I watched it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 45, six yeah. years ago. It's just now yeah. being described operationalized in research. It's not rising. Kind of like the me too movement. It yeah. was always happening. It's yeah. just now
0: we have awareness we've, of it. We've, yeah, we that we makes sense. it. we've coined it. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Well, I had a fascinating conversation with um, um, uh, obstetric anesthesiologist. How fun. Who is um, also has extensive trauma informed education and runs a clinic specifically to help women giving birth who have trauma experience a Hopefully, a trauma-free you know birth experience. And she was saying that um, it's not just the obstetrics; it's all of the other professions around. It's nursing, and it's CNMs, and it's anesthesiologists, and it's um, you know medical assistants. Everyone in the space—it's not just obstetricians. Like everyone entering the birth space has to be trauma-informed and educated on how they're treating people. Um, I wonder, are you running into this at all? Is this part of the reason why um, some of the CNMs approach you asking for, to get out of the system? Is is this part of it?
1: Um, So from the professional person's lens, yes, they're not talking necessarily about how they are forced to um, assist a patient. They're more traumatized Uh by the system in which they work. So I'm sure it Uh plays a part in it, but certainly, um, you know, we, we talk almost weekly to midwives, either wanting to leave the profession or the job that they're in.
0: Yeah. It's such a crisis, isn't it? I I feel like some, some really astounding, powerful midwives are leaving because they're burnt out and they're overwhelmed. Yeah, exactly. How do you, how does your practice, how does your consulting firm address the
1: overwhelm and the burnout, what kind of counsel do you give? Um, we we provide them with a a once and needs tool. It's a way to sort of do self-reflection um, and mm. really begin to explore for themselves as they think about Forward, future forward, rather than trauma backward. <laughs> what do they want? You know, mm-hmm. where are they in their in their career? Mm-hmm. Not only what do they want, what do they need? And we ask them to write a sentence about what their dream job would look like if it were possible. And at that point, beautiful, we, you know, spend a fair amount of time, um, sort of helping people regain the notion that when they feel like they have control back, and they're they're open. Uh, to moving out of the anxiety, depression, hopelessness that they're in. It, it's about self-awareness and self-control. And when you're ready to take back your power, you're able to move in the direction that will get you to a new place. Um, oftentimes it's it's almost like the abuse cycle, right? You feel stuck. You don't know how to get hmm. out of it. You continue to take it. You become exhausted and have no energy. To figure out your plan forward. So that's, that's kind of an idea of how I would uh, approach sort of this and then provide them with um, networking opportunities, places to go um, sort of look for other jobs. And quite frankly, when people are that frustrated, it's a perfect opportunity to, to talk about starting your own business, uh, taking control back to that degree definitely definitely Get, getting a little more power back and right. a little more
0: say in what's coming next yeah it's about self determination i love that exactly yeah yeah when we talk about you know higher my maslow's hierarchy of needs you know like that is really important and it and if you're living you know being controlled by other people it can be super exhausting to the soul almost yeah
1: yeah yeah. Well, well, we think of Maslow's so, hierarchy and needs sort of self-transcendence is the very top. You know, it's not on that yeah. pyramid, but it really came out in his later work and that really yeah, is self-actualization. A That's starting it. point, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Instead of exactly. building at the mm-hmm. top. So I
0: agree. It's almost a starting point. I agree entirely. Yeah. yeah. Well, so
1: um what are some of your future projects? What are you hoping will happen? for so uh, midwifery um it's one of the things that that i share with people that are sort of looking towards their future um i i have a tendency of about every 10 years uh starting a new a new job which gives you creative energy and uh with our lives that. we're at yeah. five years um as yeah. i said my goal was to sort of exit in a major capacity when i turn 70 which is just a few years away <laughs> um Love we, that. we started a, a billing service and um Arden Schwenker is the individual who oversees that billing service. It's growing very quickly. Uh, so that's mm-hmm. a major new project that we added. Uh, we have a new consultant exciting. Who, who joined us that um, is very interested in creating a, a model of midwifery matchmaking. And what I mean by that is is a different slant on a recruiting firm where we can help people find each other. And it came from a job fair. I hosted this job fair in the summer last year and had over 35 employers and maybe 40 some midwives each looking for the fit and discovered that a lot of um, marketing and advertising is not working in terms of how people can find the job and midwifery is in high demand right now, at least on the CNMCM side. Um, yeah, side. We're also venturing into, into providing um, CE. Uh, we just finalized plans with the University of Alaska uh, med school and their AHEC up there to go to Anchorage in June and provide a full day of live uh, CME for all types of providers. Um using experts from Alaska and members of our team. So we're very excited to go up there in June.
0: That sounds amazing. Yeah, it's exciting. I love continuing Ed. I it's it's been the focus for my organization. And Uh it's so inspiring to kind of take the bead on what's happening for those people on the ground what they need, what they're frustrated by, what they're succeeding at, and then where the holes in their knowledge are, and to just really provide holistic education. I love it. It's really exciting. Yeah, we're excited. That's so great. Well, so you are, where are you now in in the world? I live in Kansas City. Uh,
1: So I'm in Kansas. So you're back home. Yeah. 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 So you're back home. Okay. uh, A lot of traveling in the non-COVID period. I figured. I figured,
0: yeah, I figured your business calls you away. You do site visits and, and counseling uh, for
1: midwives where, wherever they are? Uh, we do. Uh, so it just depends on the client, right? If we're, if we're yeah. uh, helping an education program get started or helping a hospital integrate a midwife service, most of our work is actually um, online. But if we need to do a site uh-huh. visit, we certainly can. Most of my time away is speaking. Uh, more than a client interaction,
0: yeah. Are you still? Are you do you still have your finger in midwifery at all? Are you still doing any prenatals or postpartums visiting birth centers? Or are you all in your no, advocacy organization?
1: No, I, I do not do clinical no. work. Um, Leslie Rathbun, my one of my original partners, still owns and operates the Charleston Birth Center and uh, is actively oh, wow. practicing, and another newer consultant. Denise Frazelka um, is an active midwife in Madison who um, actually was at my home birth and uh, was the first uh-huh. birth that she ever witnessed and launched her into midwifery school.
0: Oh, that's such a great story! It is. It's a great. It's oh a great God, story. It's so amazing. Yeah, and that—that that was how many years ago? I imagine you didn't uh, have a baby
1: yesterday. I mean, no, no. <laughs> no. Uh, he's he's what in his late thirties uh, now. And so she's been a midwife 25 years in full practice.
0: What a long and beautiful uh, relationship you guys must have had
1: watching her go through all those stages. It's, it's fantastic. I, I uh, really facilitated and was her mentor while she was at UCSF. We did her integration at our practice in Kansas city. Then we hired her. She was one of my partners at our hospital-based practice. Um, and then she helped teach midwifery at the university of Kansas, my 10 years there. So I've, I, you know, she's, she's, she's a nanny, a daughter, a best friend and a colleague. It's pretty cool.
0: That's incredible.
1: (laughs) What an amazing journey. I love that. Yeah. Oh, that's
0: amazing. I was at a birth yesterday and, um, and the mama's the mama said, this is, this is so amazing. I think I need to become a midwife, ah. and it made me think of all those all those mamas who have got to you know experience midwifery from right. from all the midwives and then become midwives themselves. And it that's right. it's such a lovely full circle. It's amazing and that, and that that's, uh, that's that happened for you, but kind of in reverse. <laughs> that's <laughs> great. Yeah. So, um, so you had a home birth yourself, and um,
1: one one can out more than that. I I have four sons. Um, The first two were Uh born in the birth center that I helped open. The third was born at home and the fourth was born in the hospital because the docs that I worked with um, said, you know, sorry, Ginger, but you know, we can't support your home birth. And I said, okay, um, I'll be in and out pretty quickly. So my labor team came to my home. I got there in 45 minutes had my, my fourth son and was home in an hour and a half so uh oh <laughs> but they had never seen that before in the hospital it's a very big prominent hospital uh you know that all the athletes in Kansas City go to and uh does have some residency training there but I, at that point I think I'd been the chief of that service for a couple of years I was 41 and you know they were all like what are you doing and I'm like I'm just having a baby you know no, I'm not yeah, going to have a monitor. We, we no, you're not going to take my baby to the nursery. Yeah. Yes. I'm going to leave very quickly. If you want to do AMA, that's fine. It all went great. That's and it fantastic. really taught them a lot um, about, I bet. about I a, bet. many issues <laughs> because we could, oh, we admitted and discharged our patients. They didn't have IVs. We didn't draw blood. They had food and fluids. Yeah. In labor. They were in the water. We couldn't do water birth at the time, yeah. but the, the, my app, my, I was asked to come bring a birth center into a hospital and I had left Topeka and I had to do something in Kansas City and I knew this physician knew and trusted the midwifery model of care and that's what we did we created a birth center in the hospital. Uh, we took care wow. of the newborn we admitted the newborn discharged the couple at at six to eight hours if they wanted many did not want that. Very, very, right. very few of our, our, our families had epidurals, probably less than 10%. And that was over 10 years because of the model That's of we provided. So my, my life experiences has led me to this statement. It doesn't matter where you give birth. What matters, mm. the walls don't matter. What matters are the people that surround you, how you're trusted, mm. respected, and provided safe care. Gosh, really
0: that. That. Is, that is the truth right there. That is the truth. That is, that is tweetable, my friend.
1: <laughs> well, I've experienced it all. Uh, and so yeah. it's, it's, yeah. you know, and I've attended birth in all settings. So it's sort of like, yeah. Um, yeah, I know the, I know the phrase trust birth sort of is whatever. Um, it's, it's sort of the default of, Oh, you don't believe in medicine. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, the human species yeah. has lasted a very long time on this planet uh, without the massive yeah. technology and, and over-management that American women experience today. Um, and at yeah, it, kind kind some point, it's, it's got to mm-hmm. stop because we are hurting ourselves by believing technology is the answer. People are dying. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, no they really
1: are. Yeah. Well, you know, the, one of the things I would really outrageous. like to... I I would really like to change the phrase of of wow. This is going to be harsh. I don't know how big a listener base you have, but uh, say it. You know, we talk talk about maternal death, but it's it's almost like how many women do we need to murder to get enough attention to say the crisis is huge
0: the crisis is that huge. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm good friends with Robin Lim. I interviewed her for this podcast as well. She's a very outspoken yeah. advocate for moms and babies in Bali, you know. And yeah. she was trying to get across how dangerous formula feeding was for infants yeah. in Indonesia. Yeah. And she was at this advocacy meeting and the big heads were sitting there and she was like, babies die every day and it's not safe. And like, da, da, and they were all kind of nodding their heads. Right. And finally exactly. it like came to her <laughs> and she looked at the numbers and she was like, okay, let me put it this way. Every single day, the equivalent of a Boeing 747 crashes full of infants every day in Indonesia. That's how dangerous it is. Yeah. And they like all gasped. And they were like, yeah. oh, like, cause if a plane of people crashed right. every day, it would be at the front of every headline and people sure would, would suddenly be figuring out how to solve this. Right. Sure and so they have to figure out how to do with the maternity health crisis in the United States. We have to figure out how to contextualize it for people
1: that aren't numbers people and that don't look at it objectively, you know? Yeah, I think I think we diluted it by the phrase maternal mortality, and I sit on the yeah. mortality board yeah. here uh, in a state, and and if yeah. if they hear oh seven to nine hundred women die every year, and and that yeah. to me is like if you can save sixty percent of them, why is that such a non uh, right. hair raising comment? But if you look at the number that right. have severe consequential some permanent disability or challenges. Yeah. We're talking about 50, 70,000 people. And that's just from the 37 states that report. We have some states that don't even participate. Right. Right. It's, it's.
0: And the morbidity is, is, is the problem. Exactly. The morbidity is the problem. Yeah. Yeah. We have this, we have a really, I mean, I'm here in, in Southern India and It's even more atrocious here. Like many countries around the world, they exported uh, obstetric, you know, American obstetrics in the seventies and eighties. Yep. And it's still that way. You know, everyone is, everyone is, um, you know, everyone is cut. Right. The ones that don't get cesareans get episiotomies. Everyone is vacuumed. Baby, all babies go to the NICU. All parents are separated. You know, it's like it's a. It's a really oh, atrocious gosh. situation. I know. And it's, it's, um, if, if the U S doesn't solve this, um, we continue to influence so many other places decisions. Exactly. And I feel like that's, what's been shocking to me to travel, you know, like we look at Sweden or the Netherlands or Norway or New Zealand or, you know, there are places with outcomes who have right. midwives at the top of their right. process, but those places aren't being emulated. Only right. the United States is being That's emulated right. where we have this crisis. And it's like, yeah, yeah. We, we're no, I preaching the same agree. choir here. <laughs> I,
1: and, you know, you, yeah. you see it more than I see it because of everywhere you've been. Mm-hmm. But I, I was a yeah. delegate to the International Confederation Midwives when I was president. And and sitting in that room in the voting membership uh, and hearing no. conversations about what's what's goes on in South America, very high C section rate. Yeah. Uh, and, and then oh, sort so of yeah. informal discussions about, well, this is you know what the US does. This is a standard of care. And I'm like, oh my God,
0: Yeah. yeah. This is yeah. just yeah, yeah. not good. <laughs> it's it's a crisis And 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 the the women who are injured, I mean, like here in India, the justification for a c-section is like save the baby right we've become this like so hyper focused on the baby and so um you know women get if their water breaks and they don't have labor within three hours they have a cesarean if the cord is around the neck in an ultrasound they have a cesarean (laughs)
1: if if they had a cesarean before
0: they have a cesarean Like if there's any meconium visible at any point in labor they have a cesarean like there's it's just this default cesarean culture but and, and sure, the maternal or the infant mortality in India has definitely gone down over the years, but the maternal morbidity just goes up and up yep. and up. Yep. And what, when are we going to get people to listen to women?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, when, when I do think, you know, the White Ribbon Alliance and, and other organizations, yeah. I see yeah. are trying really mother hard and, to look at yeah. respect, respectful yeah. care and what that means. But adopting yeah. those practices, I don't know what the what the litigious nature in India is. I know what drives it here in the U.S. I'm um, yeah. married to an yeah. attorney who used to do Med Mal. Everything centers around liability. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, it 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 is unfortunate that the evidence is not what guides practice.
0: <laughs> and I don't, you yeah. so
1: know, unfortunate. <laughs>
0: Change is slow. That's a very, very PC turn. <laughs> Ginger. Yeah. It's unfortunate. It's actually unethical. It wow. should be illegal. Sure. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Oof. yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's, I can well, say so, that. I can say it's maddening. Yeah. Uh, it just depends on it's what maddening you're in the moment, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah.
0: How are we going to say it so that it's heard on the large scale? Well, everybody who is in our circle, at least, understands that midwifery is the solution, full stop. And all the extensions and variations, right? Everything to do with what you and I work and stand for is the solution to the global maternity crisis. More midwives, more community markers, more doulas, yep. Yep. more of this is what's right. needed. I know I'm doing some things to help that happen. I know you're doing some things to help that happen. I know many other, you know, Hillary Schlinger and and Leslie Cromwell. And I mean, we could keep naming all the people who are trying to work in this. Um, What more could we be doing? Like, what do you feel like uh, the influencers, the change makers, the universities, the organizations
1: the everyday midwife what can we do to help shift this tide Mm, there's there's a lot of questions in there augustine Uh, i
0: know i'll I'll start now i'm putting you
1: on the spot uh well i don't it's not difficult to answer it's just i'm not sure i'm going to answer them all i would start with what some of the things we're trying to do and we've been successful helping three these are nursing schools start midwifery education programs they've all now Gone cool. through the pre-accreditation cool. process. What I really am trying to do, and I have two potential um, interested parties. I'll say it that way. We don't disclose our clients uh, unless we have permission. Yeah, yeah. Is to combine a academic setting that represents both um, a master's exit in nursing and an associate degree exit. In nursing with a CNM CPM education model. So they are alongside education programs, both accredited, share faculty, share resources, and almost like sort of the model of going from a CNA to an EMT to an RN to a whatever. As people desire and yeah. want to progress, those are seamless. Uh, Bridges or steps to higher education if desired, but the pathways all provide uh, an exit with opportunity to get out there and start practicing uh, as midwives, I I do not endorse the DNP exit for nursing programs, Mm -hmm. just my stance um i'll help if people want not it's it's not not, necessary
0: or it's not necessary financially viable it's not
1: necessary i i look we've probably reviewed over 850 contracts many are dnps doctor of nursing practice there is Uh no difference in salary Uh none Uh, Uh Uh uh-huh and Uh unless Uh they're not going to be a busy clinician they have little to no time to do any kind of quality-based Research, research. Yeah. So it's, it's to me, it's a yeah. little bit of a redundant, expensive degree. And we need people in the workforce not staying in school longer and having a $200,000 debt. And they're not going to get paid much. Definitely. To turn it off. Um, I, I think we need educational pathways that are very doable. They're out there in other professions that give people the opportunity to bridge their, their education and their career. And that that's what I'm working on right now. I'm hopeful. Uh, we can we can get one out there that can uh, be a demonstration project and funded. That's awesome.
0: How exciting. The other guess,
1: I'm 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 a cheerleader for you. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, we have to cheer
0: for you.
1: Um we really do. Yes. I think I think we have to I I believe I also believe in the tipping point. I talk about it a lot. We have to get get to you know whatever you believe that is around 18% of people are understanding mass. what the word midwife means when you say it, very hard to do when we don't What's know your percentage? Ourselves. 18%. What's your percentage? Um, That's what you feel like a tipping point. Yeah. And um, huh. Huh. it's based on quite a bit of research out there in, in the field, but um, consumers need to help drive change and consumers also need to know why they want to become a midwife. So what I say to midwives is, Every time you're with a stranger, tell them what you do and why it's exciting and and you'd be surprised. Yeah. You you know this. I mean, when you talk to a yeah, Uber yeah. driver or a Lyft driver and I always engage yeah. with who I'm with about what I do. Yeah. We have to normalize the the profession and encourage people to go to school. Definitely. And we can do that. Definitely. 30, if we choose to. Do you think that 18% don't know what a midwife is? No, or we have more to than reach 18%. What What I mean by the critical mass is from the consumer side. 18% of Americans need to have a midwife attended birth in order to not have to, you know, mm-hmm. proselytize what we do every second, which has been my 45 years of practice. Yeah.
0: Because in terms of, of critical mass of knowledge, I think, I think Think with call the midwife and the business of being born and that australian show saving grace i think that the actual larger culture knows what the word midwife is they don't know the specifics and they don't know the different definitions and they certainly wouldn't know their own yeah. state definition but they've heard the word
1: i don't but i don't you're know saying that 18 have
0: to use midwife.
1: yes have to utilize the services midwife attended birth let's yes. just say it that way 18 of the population but I don't, I don't know that I agree that most people know what the word is or means. I mean, they, yes, I think they've heard the word. No, I don't think they understand what midwifery is in America at all.
0: (laughs) Hmm. Hmm. Maybe I'm in a bubble. Well, um, what are we at right now? 14%.
1: Of midwife attended line? births were, um, uh-huh. well, I don't, I in wish, all locations? Yeah, I wish they would add, you know, CPM and other midwife. I don't know that vital statistics have done that yet, but we're getting close to 13. Well, we're at
0: like 1.4%. So, so let's say it's let's, not a huge, let's add. say
1: we're 13 to 14 right now. It's increasing. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Year. I
0: think we're about 13. Yeah. 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 It is. We had a huge increase
1: in community-based birth over the pandemic, yeah. 21, yeah. 20% each year and yeah. then look at mm. uh, new mexico and alaska that are both over 30. i know it's exceptional that's really, really one valley <laughs> outside of anchorage
0: in alaska which has they have more midwives than physicians and they have yeah. more midwife attended births than physicians yes. attended births Yes, they've crossed that crazy barrier but yeah. it's only one valley <laughs> yeah yeah yep. Yeah but it's coming. Yeah. Arizona, New Mexico, um, making yep. huge headway. Yep. Um, Washington state's making huge headway. Texas is actually, there's so many birth centers in Austin. I think there are 26 birth centers in Austin alone. Oh my sense. gosh. I had no idea. I know. Yeah. Texas has got, it's Texas I know has they have 530 a lot of some centers. huge amount of birth centers, 530 some CNMs. And just, just under that 510 some CPMS. Wow. Um, so I think it's the most midwives in any state is in Texas. So that's very exciting. Well, this has been so wonderful to pick your brain and hear your wisdom and expertise. I really hope we can do it again sometime. Um, I really hope that we can stay in touch. I just, I'm so excited for what your organization and your passion is doing for the world of Midwifery.
1: Thank you. Well, thank you, Augustine, for the time to catch up and uh, and visit. It's been great. It's been great.
0: Till next time. Thanks for joining. Bye bye.